0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore. I am Black on the Air. Nice to be with you guys again. We were off for a couple weeks. I guess it was our spring break. You know, to be honest with you, there really was no no reason. It's just like, we have these two weeks off. Oh, okay. Whatever. But that's kind of how the scheduling goes here at The Ringer. That's how we do it on Black on the Air. We just take breaks and then we tell you about it after the fact. Some people warn you ahead of time. We let you know after the fact. We say, "Oh, that's right, we were gone. Our bad." But we're back. We're back, and we're back in the air. Today's show is with the um, legendary actor Courtney B. Vance. He's so good, you guys. He's so good in everything. If you saw um, the O.J. Simpson miniseries, the uh, what was it a year ago? It's almost two years ago now, uh, where he played Johnny Cochran. God, he's just he's just brilliant in everything that he does. And we had a great talk. We kind of kind of had a Almost, I call it a nerdy talk, a little bit of a nerdy talk about acting. And some of his early days working with people like James Earl Jones and August Wilson, some of his stuff. So some of my theater peeps out there, I think, are really going to like that talk. But all of you, I think, will enjoy that talk with Courtney B. Vance. I'm talking to you today on April 4th, actually. It's Wednesday. And this, of course, uh, by the way, I'm going to skip talking about the uh, Tangerine Idi Amin today. Just take a break. Because there's just something every day with Trump, you know. Um, But I will next week. um, (laughs) Again, who knows? So much probably will have changed by then. It's just as well. But we'll get back to that. Like Cosby, I haven't forgotten about you, motherfucker. Don't worry. But I thought, let's talk about uh, Dr. King and his legacy, since today is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King. There's so much... Man, there's so much around it. So many emotions go through me. I'm, you know, of course, old enough to have been alive when it happened. I was uh, just a kid at the time. And for me, that was a moment, I think, where it was my first, I guess you could call woke moment, (laughs) Um, possibly. Like, I mean, my parents are from Chicago. And, you know, (laughs) I knew all about racism, I guess, but I was so young, I didn't really quite. Know what they were talking about. They just seemed like fanciful stories, you know. (laughs) And Chicago was really bad in those days. In fact, Dr. King even mentioned that even though they had rough times in Alabama and Mississippi, he saw nothing as bad as Chicago when they marched through there during one of his later campaigns, you know. But it really, you know, I was a young kid, I was very young. At the time they were telling this, I really didn't know what they were talking about. It's just stories your parents tell you. And it wasn't until King's assassination. And I remember my mom was crying and I couldn't, you know, I asked her what she was crying about. She said they killed Dr. King. And I'm like, well, why would somebody kill a doctor? That doesn't make sense, you know? And I remember reading a Life magazine at the time and it was the first time really as a kid, you know, and read as much as you can at that age. I was about, I think seven or something like that. Um, And just really starting to learn about what that movement was. And just by the depth of emotions that my parents had, and I think a lot of kids go through this, they kind of learn things by how their parents react. Many kids have stories about how devastated their parents were after the JFK assassination, you know, and they relate to that pain. Um, I think because of the emotions that were going on, It was my first time I remember really connecting and realizing that I was black, you know, and that there was something that was different about that. Because I had never really thought about the difference before. It just seemed a designation, you know, it's just a thing. But there was actually something different about that, you know. And I think it kind of opened my eyes to that difference. It's kind of fascinating. I look back. It happened at a very young age. And so that's, I think, personally, I remember it for that. And I remember sometime later, I think Life Magazine, They, I mentioned Life Magazine a lot. I don't even know if Life's still around. But they used to put out these little plastic records in the magazines that you could play in your record player. Um, they were real thin. And I remember they I put out his I Have a Dream speech on one of them, and I remember listening to that and the power of those words. And it wasn't just the words that got me. But it was the intention behind it, you know, it was just the emotions and everything. And, you know, being the little comedian that I was, I tried to imitate it and all that stuff, you know. But um, I was so moved by him as a person and as a force and as a figure at the time, you know, it really meant something to it. Years later, of course, looking back on it, you know, I can look at it from a different perspective, you know, point of view. and, And, you know, it's funny how times change and how people look at Dr. King. And I I think a lot of people view Dr. King just from the perspective of the speech that he gave in the March to Washington in 1963, the I Have a Dream speech, particularly the line where he asked us not to judge each other based on the color of our skin, but on the content of our character. And it's funny that the King legacy is kind of appropriated on both sides of the aisle. I'm talking right and left and is interpreted in different ways. And what's interesting on the right, it's kind of interpreted as a way to, okay, black people, you've done enough. We're not supposed to judge. <laughs> Why do you want something? <laughs> you know? Dr. King said, "Let's not let's not judge by race." What do you mean, Black Lives Matter? Dr. King didn't say that. He said, "Let's not judge by race, but by the content of your character." I think what a lot of people forget is that when he said those words. It's because how black people were being treated. It wasn't just a neutral situation going on. I said, you know, you guys, I have an idea. We shouldn't judge each other on race. We should just judge on the content of our character. Fuck, man, that's a great idea. What made you think of that? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the lynchings that have been happening and the way we've treated in society. So there was a context for that, you know. But it's interesting to me how I feel the civil rights movement at the time was a human rights movement. And since then, it has become more of a political movement. And I think in some ways it may have hurt the movement. And in some ways, I don't know, maybe more people have joined the movement. I have no idea whether it's been for the good or the bad, but it certainly is different now. And let me be a little more specific about it. Just let me talk about a couple of things about King. So in King's last days, in his last year and a half, it was a little bit I think America had a little bit of a different relationship with Dr. King. A lot of that luster of that 1963 speech was, you know, was kind of gone because the government had passed the Civil Rights Act in 1964. Then you had the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Right after the Voting Rights Act, by the way, there was a a riot. I think it was in Watts. I think the Watts riot happened after it. (laughs) and and the reason why I'm laughing is because white people were so upset. Good Look what we gave you, and now you're writing. What's wrong with you people? You know, not understanding that the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, I mean, come on, when you look at those, that's the least you can fucking do. I mean, that's just giving the rights that black people should have gotten a long time ago. You know, that's just barely— you know, opening the door and saying you're citizens too. That's not even addressing some of the uh, issues that were going on, you know, at the time. That's just that's just uh, acknowledging the institutional mistreatment of blacks, you know, let alone the structural mistreatment. So it was real interesting that I think the Watts right kind of, I don't know if it changed Dr. King, but it certainly in some ways refocused a lot of the movement and they started going into more specific issues, and one of the issues was called the Poor People's Campaign. Now, the Poor People's Campaign is an issue, of course, about class, and it deals with structural racism in terms of, you know, people's ability to even make a living. And what was interesting about the Poor People's Campaign is that it didn't just deal with blacks. In fact, they had a a big convention for this where they wanted to, <laughs> there's, uh, they wanted to invite not just blacks, but Chicanos, Native Americans, and what they called Appalachian whites, <laughs> you know, and there was this big conference about it, and it was real interesting. There's some footage on this of Dr. King talking to all these different groups, and he's talking about class in America, you know, and so the message was being fine-tuned at that point, and the Poor People's Campaign, I believe, was the next movement of the civil rights campaign is to really deal honestly with, Um, what today we call income inequality. Uh, But um, I believe that a couple of things kind of got in the way. One was, unfortunately, and this is, I say unfortunate because um, I don't think it was necessarily wrong what Dr. King did, but I think it was problematic. And what he did was he came out publicly against the Vietnam War. And this had some problems for the movement, unfortunately, And it's interesting some of the reasons why at the time. I think Dr. King personally was against the war, but I don't think he was that passionately felt that he had to speak out against it. Initially, I don't think so. Ironically, his wife, Coretta Scott King, was very passionate and was outspoken about it. And she had actually, I think, joined some organizations, some anti-war organizations. Um, But at the time... There was an anti-war movement that was started in America, and it really started on the college campuses. And um, that movement, I believe, really kind of, let's say, I'll be generous, let's say glommed onto to the civil rights movement. But the anti-war movement was more of a political movement that was really sat on the left side of the aisle. There were many issues in the anti-war movement that were certainly human rights, but it definitely was. It was more of a leftist movement. It was really one of our f- first big leftist movements in the modern era. But the Civil Rights Movement was not a leftist movement. But I think when Dr. King—I I sound like a professor now. I apologize for you guys. What's that, what's going on back in the air? Why is Larry talking about this crap? I'm just trying to get to this point. So, But I believe that when he came out against the Vietnam War, he did a couple of things. I think he unfortunately alienated a lot of people— who were supporting the civil rights movement but had different feelings about the Vietnam War. Because remember, a lot of information at that time, we're talking like 1965, 66. This is 66, I think, when he spoke out against it, I believe. It could be 67, but I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 66. A lot of the information about the war had not quite come out. Johnson definitely was lying to the country at the time, but people didn't know it. you know. And Johnson was seen as an ally. Guys, think about this. Lyndon Baines Johnson, a Southerner who admitted that he was going to lose many, many votes by voting for civil rights legislation with a black man in the White House shaking his hand. And now and people and many blacks, you know, put up that picture of LBJ right next to the JFK, you know, on their wall, right, right next to the MLK, you know, in those days, because they couldn't believe that this Southerner would do this. This Southern president would actually go out of his way. One of the most amazing things that Johnson did at the time was at the end of one of his speech, he said, and we shall overcome. And so many blacks, especially older blacks, cried when he said that because they couldn't believe a white man in the White House from the floor of the Senate would use the words from a Negro spiritual to talk about legislation. Huge moment. Okay, I'm trying to put this in perspective. So when Dr. King, think about this, when he came out against the Vietnam War, he positioned himself against LBJ, this person who had just done this. And we're talking days after the Voting Rights Act, right? Days, right? Um, so many black leaders, this is what's fascinating, black leaders started distancing themselves from Dr. King at this point. He lost some of the funding for some of the movement. Some of his own people questioned it and advised him not to do it. But at the time that he did it, I believe that he honestly believed passionately in this, and he, he was very convicted about it. Was it the right thing to do? I, You know, it's funny. I'm not sure if strategically it was the right thing to do in terms of the civil rights movement, but I think morally it certainly was the right thing to do in terms of his personal conviction. But I think his personal convictions got caught up in the civil rights strategy, okay? But for the first time, I believe what happened is that the civil rights movement joined aside, you know, now it was joined to the left as opposed to being just a strictly human rights movement. That to me is significant because ever since then, all civil rights legislation and movements and all these things, you'll see people attacking it as right against left. And I feel that that is a sad thing because I think at the root of all of our civil rights and all of these issues are human rights. And they have nothing to do with Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, right and left and all these things. But I I believe that's when it got mixed up together, you know, is my my, uh, feeling on that. Unfortunately, after King was assassinated, the whole poor people's movement kind of got forgotten. Some people tried to pick it up. But I think without a leader like King at the middle of it, the unification that that movement needed you know, to really make a difference and what he was trying to do, I think, was kind of lost. And I think today we're still struggling with that issue. You know, I mean, a poor people's campaign. Look, this was Bernie Sanders' message basically last year. I think that's why I connected with a lot of people. In some ways, it was Trump's message for the people in Appalachia, right? We are still dealing with a deeply rooted class issue in America today um, of people— being left out of the economic system. Now, for blacks at the time, institutional racism played the big part in it. But there are a lot of people that are caught in this um, web for all kinds of different reasons, you know. And I think it would be great if we had a leader like Dr. King today who could bring us together, who could bring everybody together <laughs> and deal with this issue. Well, let me make one quick side point about Dr. King and the nonviolent movement. The other One of the other reasons that um, King was let's say, kind of falling out of favor maybe, and I'm only using it in a trendy sense because he didn't lose his importance, of course, was that some blacks were getting impatient with the nonviolent approach to civil rights. And that's a very human response. You know, people are fucking with you that long. You want to fight back. The last thing you want to do is not fight. I mean, I mean, some of the best stories that we tell are about people fighting back, right? Um, and so Stokely Carmichael was part of the movement at the time and started leading the black power movement. And Stokely Carmichael made it clear that he, he didn't care for nonviolence. He was like, Hey, he was like in the Malcolm X category by any means necessary. You know, I'm not taking violence off the table. And it's interesting about King, you guys, is that even though King disagreed with Stokely Carmichael and you, there's actually footage of King and Carmichael marching together in a march. And there's a reporter in between them. And you can see the reporter trying to stoke something, uh, no pun intended. And he talks to Carmichael, and Carmichael talks about he he's not on that nonviolent train, you know, and, and the importance of black power. And King didn't necessarily believe in that phrase, black power, either, but for for the a different reason. He thought, in the abstract, there's nothing wrong with it, but he didn't want it to mean for people to take up arms or for blacks to exalt themselves over whites as opposed to being equal. He had a problem with that, okay? But, so the reporter, so Stokely Carmichael is basically trashing the nonviolent movement as he's marching with Dr. King, you guys. As he's marching with him, he's standing right next to him. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that. Marching next to Dr. King saying, this motherfucker don't know shit, man. Nonviolent, are you kidding me? I mean, that's basically what Stokely Carmichael's doing. So Martin Luther King, when asked about this, you know, right there, this is what's amazing about the man. He did not slam Stokely Carmichael at all. He merely stated his position and support for nonviolence in a way that didn't diminish Stokely Carmichael. He was a what I call a gracious opposer. He knew how to have gracious opposition, you know, where he can have opposition against something, but he didn't demean the man. He didn't demean his brother. He did not do that. He didn't get in a Let's call it black-on-black crime or whatever, or get on a black-on-black fight. He had—and it's because one of the reasons he—as well as being a preacher, Dr. King wasn't intellectual. A lot of people don't realize that. But he was having an intellectual argument that he didn't take personally. And he was able to state his point of view graciously without demeaning Stokely Carmichael. But Dr. King made it clear that he was sticking to the nonviolent approach. But, but ironically, it was another reason— why his star was, let's say, fading a little bit. That's my little take on King. That's all I got. I have more, but it's just kind of wonky. But, um, man, I really... um, Man, when I think of the type of uh, just leader that he was and just person that he was, it's uh, it's such a damn shame. Um, but there's more to be talked about this at some other time. Um, one thing that we could talk about another time is the FBI's involvement in all of this, too, which is ridiculous, so... Don't get me started on that. All right, everybody. Um, Really good show coming up with uh, Courtney B. Vance. Hope you enjoy it. But uh, first, let's have a little word from one of our sponsors. I consider when you say actor's actor, this is the person that you're talking about. You know, there are people that fit this category. But very few fit it in the way that this person does. Mr. Courtney B. Vance, welcome Thank to the you. show. Thank
1: you. Good to be here. Good With to be you. here.
0: Very uh, prestigious line of credits that yes. befall you. And the ones that are sure to come, of mm. course, in the future. You're always so interesting on screen mm. is what I really admire about your about your career. When I when I first uh, I guess learned about you or whatever is still one of my favorite movies Hunt for Red October. Mm. It's it looked like you guys even though it was an intense thriller it looked like you guys were having fun in that movie. It was
1: my first big movie yeah. and it uh, um it was very difficult for me to get in it. They put they made yeah. me jump through a bunch of hoops but yeah. I, I was uh, uh and I by the, so by the time I got there after all the hoops I had to jump through I missed the time when they did the tour of the submarine and they oh, went under, you know, yeah. all of that. So I missed all that. So right. they had um, built these. At that time, it was, you know, $2 million was a lot of money. Where did you shoot it? Uh, Paramount. Um, oh. But uh, I'm sure $2 million today is probably about Twenty million dollars. Right. Um, it was nineteen ninety, I believe, and uh, they built these gimbals so that we'd be on the gimbals, and then we, when it would right. dive, the whole the unit would dive. Yeah. Uh, and then they realized, wait a minute, we can just t- take this Took camera. The camera.
0: <laughs> 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 wait a second. This is nineteen ninety. Did they never
1: see the series
0: Batman? Okay. They <laughs> yeah,
1: started tilting the camera, and uh-huh. the gimbals were off to the side. So. Really? Yeah. They were, they were. They built two of them, I think, and. They they did not use them at all. Even on Star Trek, you would see Kirk, like, leaning, and then leaning. Yeah, and you know they're leaning. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't do it. The, they, they the camera started to move, and yeah. then they put that thing away, yeah. put those two things away.
0: I tell you, what I what I loved the movie because I thought it was just a great movie, and I was always a big Sean Connery fan. But what I loved about your role is the role—and this is Hollywood at a time when, you know, you— it, like, brothers were happy to see brothers in roles mm. that we know aren't written for brothers, yes. you know, where you have to prove that you can be that part. Right. Did it feel like that from your point of view at all? Well,
1: or? this was a little special, a little different mm. in that the the role of Jonesy, I, you, know, you may be right, I don't know if Jonesy was, in the book, I don't know if Jonesy was black. Yeah, I can't recall, but I think he was, But uh-huh. but I was, when I read it, I saw him as black. Yes, and I said I really want this one, and I, I went after it. It was, as I said, there was a quite a few hoops to jump through, but um, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was one of those ones where I really, I think, it, yeah, it was my first one that I really, really, really wanted. Yeah, and went after, and I got. So I was so happy. And it was a big budget movie, so I'd never been on a mm-hmm. big budget movie before. Right. And, uh and Sean Connery was, of course, a huge star Alec Baldwin it was just starting out and yeah. uh, um he was thin as a rail and,
0: he was even if you thought the acting was okay like his charisma just lit up the
1: screen in those days it was really a great great cast yeah, uh, yeah him him anchoring it and we had Sean for for 4 weeks and yeah. he let and us know that very Clearly, <laughs> he, he wasn't said. kidding around. He was not playing. Because wow. I think he had something in his visa or something where he could oh, only be in town for a certain, in the country for a certain, and work for a certain amount of, so they had four weeks with him. And so they were, when he was on the set, it was all about him. Sure. And when he was off the set, and he had just had throat surgery or something. Oh, really? So, uh, and they, you know, they they were, a lot of atmospheric smoke was used back in those days. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he was not having that atmospheric smoke because right. of the throat surgery. So he was, no smoke. Yeah. He was very <laughs> much. Let's lose the much smoke, much guys. Let's lose the smoke. <laughs> so um, when he was on the set, uh, the you know, when he was off the set, they smoked it up and it was all. As, right. soon, as, he, as soon as he started to come on, he was like, <laughs> get the smoke out of he blow the smoke out. So um, it, was a, 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 it was a film about atmospheric smoke.
0: Yes, Exactly. And even James Earl Jones was in the movie. Yeah. It was
1: very, it was a wonderful, I had, had no idea. And then when, because uh, we had, I think we had one scene uh-huh. together.
0: Could, this is how much of a nerd I am. He looked, looked over my shoulder. Yes, exactly. Right. And he, he says, he tells you that uh, you're not to remember any of this
1: or right, something like that. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Did, were, did were he we in shut same? something off or something like, like that? He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were we in the same yes. shot? Yes, Where we, we were? Yeah, I believe
0: so. I think the camera pans up to him, maybe. Right. Or something like his hand comes into frame, looking at me, speaking. Yeah. In the images. I think and, his hand comes into frame. And, and shuts we it off.
1: were not here. Then they reveal it. Yes. Right. So I, I, I vaguely remember. I, in my mind, we, we did, we weren't in the, 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 we didn't have any scenes together. But I think yes. But we you did. had that. We had yeah. that. And then he says, "This is C again. And then Right. <laughs> and that's <what> <laughs> So yes. did you
0: get a chance? Had you met, had you met James Earl Jones before that, or yes, we did. Uh, mm-hmm. We did
1: fences. Oh, uh, for wow, okay. Three years. So yes. he was he was my right. he still is my dad. In fact, he yes. he got uh, last summer. Right, last uh, Har- he was. We were both at Harvard's mm-hmm. graduation. He got an honorary doctorate. Wow, and they ask me to, which is a huge deal. Sure, and they ask me. I didn't know they don't tell you who's getting honorary doctorates. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a big secret. And then they, but they, they ask you if you can. You know, you can, you can be there. And so, mm-hmm. there's, I guess, there's special people that they ask to. Who, who that person is getting the honorary doctorate means something to them and to you. Um, so. So they, and so that person sits next to the honoree. Yeah. Um, so I got, you know, sit next to James.
0: Wait, and, so when he's there, he doesn't
1: know he's getting it? Uh, or he knows. At that knows. point, he does. He knows. Okay. Um, but the uh, the other, no one else knows. Oh. Um, that, except for, you know, the people on the committee. Right. But no one else knows. Like I didn't know who the, honore- the honorees were. They just ask you, can you be there? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh very important. We would love to have you there uh uh-huh. and but I didn't know what for. And were I, you thinking maybe I'm getting an honorary doctor? Mm, no, I wasn't <laughs> thinking that. That would be nice though.
0: <laughs> you might, you never uh, know.
1: Right. Uh-huh. Um but uh um he was uh he was there um Judy Dench, wow! Uh, John Williams got an honorary doctorate, mm-hmm. and you know these, you know, you just and they, it's a, well, such a wonderful thing because you just sit there,
2: yeah,
1: and they fet you and they talk about you know all your accomplishments mm-hmm. and and um, you know and then everyone stands up and applauds once they finish your segment. They show you know thing uh, something on the screen about you know the, about your life and all the things. Right. Done. half the people I didn't really know who. They were, but the, the, it was so interesting to find out yeah. about these people. I wish I could go to you know to every yeah. every year just to see and hear yeah. about some more interesting people. So it was very fascinating.
0: Did you do Fences right out of? You went to Yale Drama School, right? I did
1: yeah. right out of. We, we while, while we were there I, in my second year, mm-hmm. I did uh, it premiered at uh, at Yale Rep. Okay, and then in my third year we. Um, it went to uh, Chico- to the Goodman in Chicago.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, students aren't supposed to go. So I knew, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really think, I, when I first read it in the school library, where I said, mm, well, this is going to be a big football player. You know, he's right. a big guy. And I'm, I was 150 pounds, so wet back <laughs> in the day. So I said, this is great, you know, but it's going to be some big football player. And I closed it and uh-huh. and went on back to So My girlfriend at the time said, Courtney, you better go to the casting board. I said, "What what happened? What's going on?" Just go to the casting. But I was when I found out, I was just in shock. I uh-huh. was in one of the big shocks of my life, and I and I, the biggest thing for me was what to call him. What do you call him? Everybody was calling him Jimmy and James Earl, and uh-huh. I just I just didn't feel worthy. Yes, so I just called him Sir. Wow, which worked perfectly for the character because. Uh-huh. You, for you, that relationship that yeah, relationship yeah. you put a sir on the end of it when you talk to me yes sir sure. so it was so it was so perfect and we're yeah. we're still family to this day what was he like
0: to work with that? I
1: mean as a young actor I mean I was you, so green yeah I was I didn't know upstage from downstage did you feel like you were learning everything just by watching him rehearse, I watched even? him and Mary Alice who uh-huh. called oh, me on Mary my Alice. birthday God. she called me on my birthday she well, sang yeah. happy birthday to me yes on my birthday That's which was on March fantastic. 12th so yes she, um, they, I, I just, they've all, they've all, the whole cast, um, Charlie Brown and mm-hmm. Ray Rana and Frankie Faison and Mary Alice yeah. they all, Lloyd Richards, August Wilson, they all just, they waited for me and you know, watched and waited for me to get up to speed. And then once I was up to speed, we by the time we we went to Chicago, we uh-huh. did it there. And then we did it, uh, it was pre-Broadway in San Francisco at the Kern Theater. uh uh-huh. And then uh, I went off to do Hamburger Hill. Uh-huh. I graduated, went off to do Hamburger Hill that summer. And then in December of uh, 86, um, we came, uh, we, we, we went into rehearsal for, pre, for Broadway. For the Broadway for run. For the Broadway run. And uh-huh. we opened March, still remember, March 27th, 1987. Wow. So the day uh, my life Change I, that was that was my introduction into the into the entertainment business. Sure. And uh, when you're in a play that everybody, it's like being in Hamilton at the time. Everybody right. who was anybody came through. I remember Catherine Hepburn. Wow, Catherine Hepburn. The
0: bridge that you were able to have because you did this in the '80s, where there were still like stars from the golden yes. era. You know. To be able to see that with future stars, including yourself. Yes. Um, did, and so she came backstage? Catherine
1: Hepburn. I, you know, I was right. young. Uh, the Broadway, there's no elevators. There's no, mm-hmm. there was no, you know, in the, in the summer it's boiling hot, in the wintertime it's freezing cold. Mm-hmm. And there's rats, you know, just, well, New just York, floating yeah. around. And in fact, when they some were some of the rats run the theater. You know, they, yeah. they, 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 <laughs> they ran this theater. Richard Ray was the Forty Sixth Street Theater at the time. But right. the stage manager would be calling the show with one hand, and then with a BB gun in the other. Boom, boom. Oh my god! So, yeah. but uh, but Catherine Hepburn, because I was on the fifth floor, uh, you know, just, you know, she, she someone knocked on my door. I said hello, and I went and opened my door. Literally, was like. I'm sitting and the door's right here. <laughs> right. So, and and she was standing right there in front of me. I just, I, it was a, one of the one or two times I just went speechless. I didn't know what yeah. to say. And I you knew, knew her, but I forgot. Her. Too, right? I, but yeah. I couldn't get her name to my lips. Right. I was, you know, James Worthy did the same thing to me when he came up. Wow. Yes. And I See, and that's I knew a Laker him. fan. I, go, I know him and I've watched yeah. Showtime and that was that was you know, Irvin was from Michigan and yeah. I was a point guard and Irvin was. Point guard, you're ahead of me, so I, I know everybody, but he came to my dressing room. And I was just, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I couldn't say anything. Wait,
0: who? I couldn't this say this anything, is like. a very small Venn diagram, which I think I fit in this with you. The person that would be Gaga at James Worthy at the height of Showtime and Catherine Epper. Catherine Hepburn. Hepburn. Like Hepburn. Those
1: two figures, you know. It was, I, I just, you know, just that that she, and she was not a young girl at that time yeah. for her to go around to everybody's dressing room including mine amazing especially mine and uh you know it just it just spoke to what the play meant at the time what it was mm-hmm. about the the experience I mean it was one of those plays that if you didn't see it you missed it yeah um, and I've seen you know all of them you know since you know um but it's it's hard for anybody to, in four weeks which is all the rehearsal you're going to get Anywhere um, to get to where we got to after doing four weeks in a run, uh-huh. in at Yale the same thing in Chicago, the same thing in in uh, um, San Francisco, and then a year on Broadway, and then yeah. a year, and then three months in, in in LA at the Doolittle Theater. So so whenever I see it, and my wife has done you know uh, Rose yeah. at the um, Pasadena, but you know Denzel. Whenever I see it, I just go you know it's. It's it's wonderful that you yeah. know when I, I I learned a long time ago if somebody with these you know like doing King Lear or Hamlet if somebody gets like half the play yes you've done something special
0: that is the interesting thing about theater is when it's done again you know by great actors I I saw mm-hmm. it on Broadway with Denzel and Viola. Mm-hmm. and you know Denzel is great. He's mm-hmm. Denzel, but it's just not James Earl Jones. No. It's just different. There's and you no know, I'll way. Tell you, I'll tell you what the biggest difference was. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. That there's nothing Denzel can do no. about it. He's no. just not the. He's just not that generation. No. It's something you don't have to teach James Earl Jones, no. and it's in the authority of his voice as well, mm-hmm. of his attitude towards his son and towards his broken life, of 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 dreams that didn't happen for him, dreams for my father, if you if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of, uh, Arthur Miller and mm-hmm. August Wilson kind of share a lot of the same area I mm-hmm. feel in that, in fences mm-hmm. you know.
1: It, 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 and there's something about, you know, sitting across the table from August Wilson. Yes. <laughs> James Earl, Mary Alice, Charlie Brown, all of them, and... Lloyd Richards mm-hmm. at the helm. Yeah. And for the first week, we just sat around the table and people just told stories.
0: Wow. Man, I wish there was a camera <laughs> that was recording they all of these things. They were just
1: sitting around the table. Yeah. telling They they called themselves reading the script, mm-hmm. but they weren't reading that script. So was this a process?
0: Uh was this an improvisational process no, to, this was this was was it a were you guys building relationships before you rehearsed Is yes we was? were
1: we were mm-hmm. going through the script and literally for a week mm-hmm. we sat around a table and talked through moments, uh-huh. read a little bit, talked to moments. Somebody said, "You know what? I did a anecdote here, anecdote there. Right? Laughter, screaming. Yeah. Let's take a break. Yeah. Okay, Courtney, come back. That's Lloyd. Okay, Courtney, <laughs> come back in. All right. And I'm uh-huh. I'm caught up in what the all because I know literally like uh-huh. I know nothing. They plucked me out of out of my acting class because in first year I was. I was so into the class, and I was, you know, doing scene work, and I know that's what uh, allowed me to, that, to get put me on Lloyd's radar is because Earl Gister got arrested. So our first year mm-hmm. acting teacher saw me working in class and said, "This young man is special. He's and he, and he works really, really hard." and and he finds the you know the moments in in in, in the Ibsen and the Chekhov and mm-hmm. the Strindberg and, so um but I still didn't know anything
0: well it's interesting because you say you don't know anything mm-hmm. I always say um <clears throat> when I speak to young people and about performing and writing like you don't get to have an experience of yourself that's what we get to have mm-hmm. you know and uh many times in order to evolve, sometimes as an artist, you you have to make that connection between mm-hmm. the experience that everyone is having of you and who you think you are. Mm-hmm. When those marry up, we call it experience or that mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's actual talent or even artistry there. That's when people really blossom, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, but usually we get to see what's special about you before you even realize right, it. Right. I mean, but just interesting. Yeah. But um, I, I just
1: you know I, I I came to the theater late, I, you know, in college. So I, I literally didn't know the the experience of what theater was. Did you I'd go seen to college shows.
0: wanting to be an actor? No,
1: I, I What did you want was, to do? I didn't know. That's mm-hmm. why I, I went to college and I said, I'm, "I'll figure it out when I get there." What did your parents say? What did they say? Did they have an opinion about? No, they. You know, I was really searching. I really was. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was law, and I did a, a um, uh, an internship uh, in my senior year in high school. I thought it was architecture. Did a some mm-hmm. a little. Uh, uh, mechanical drawing class, and the, but I, I I said you know what I'm going when I go to Harvard and uh-huh. see all the the students we'll all figure it out together. And I got there and everybody knew. Uh-huh. I felt completely out of sorts. You know, I felt like I was the oddball. And I actually went to the the career services uh, offices and and I sat with a counselor and I said you know I just don't know what I <laughs> want to do and everybody uh-huh. seems like they do know and and I just what do I do? And the the counselor looked at me and just said. Is that what you came in here for? <laughs> You're fine. Go on. Uh-huh. You'll figure it out. Wow. And and he gently or she gently ushered me out. But this was during the time when they they didn't have. Now you can you can alumnus can or students can get in touch with alumni right. and, and different and they have the. You know they have it all lined up. So if you want to, you know, find out about the entertainment business or mm-hmm. legal or business or in the, in all different kinds of legal. and There's Many ways
0: to reach out and make those connections. Right, well, we didn't yeah. have
1: that at that time. So mm-hmm. you were kind of so really dependent on how much you wanted to figure it out. And 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 when I when I actually did figure out I wanted to go into theater. And this is what I tell young people now I said, well what do I, how do I. Wherever you are, in whatever city you are in, if you really want to do it, stay in that city and wring the face cloth dry in that city.
0: Interesting. Now, when you say wring the face cloth dry, do what do you mean?
1: Whatever mm-hmm. you, I, I did. I did hand modeling. I did. Yes. I did movement classes. <laughs> I did. You know, whatever you can find. Right. Do some local community plays, mm-hmm. just and to be able to figure out is this what you really want to do? Yeah. Because it ain't all pretty, and it's and the it's,
0: lifestyle that you're committed. To. It's exactly not some what destination no, of a job or something. And
1: you, you've got to want to be in the lifestyle. And the right. lifestyle is really hard and lonely and a lot of rejection. Completely. So you have right. to be really It's re- primarily to, rejection. And waiting. <laughs> yes. and just, you just have to literally wait for your moment sometimes and yeah. be, the per- be that person. When the other person says, you know what, I'm done with this. Isn't it? And you step up and that's when, boom. You're there. Yeah. And that's what happened to me with, with Fences. I was at Yale at the time when Lloyd and August came together. Lloyd mm-hmm. plucked August out of nowhere. August was a, a, a poet. Mm-hmm. And he submitted his work to the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center about five, six, seven times before That's crazy. Lloyd said, that's the play. And he knew that he had a toolbox full of 10, 12, 15 plays that mm-hmm. were ready to go. Um, not ready to go, but were ready to be worked on because all yes. of his plays were five hours yeah. when they premiered at the <laughs> wow. Eugene O'Neill. They were all five hours. Yeah. In fact, when, they, when, when August stepped away from Lloyd, um, the, the rest of his plays, he didn't win any more awards after that because Lloyd was the one who helped him shape the poet, to get, bring the poetry into dramatic uh, shape and fashion mm-hmm. so that the poetry could sing. And consequently, Gem of the Ocean was five was four and a half hours long. Yeah, uh, when it was at the O'Neill, and it was still three and a half or four hours long when it premiered. Right, Lloyd wouldn't have, that wouldn't have happened with him. Yeah, so it, it it really he was genius. They both were genius in what they did, and August really missed having, but it was one of those father father son I want to grow up and be my own person kind of thing, mm-hmm. and Lloyd just went fly baby fly but you can't do what I do yeah. I can't do what you do but it was it was to to see the that 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 battle happen and to know how strongly Lloyd fought for him mm-hmm. because 2 days before we opened in fences uh there was a there was a battle between August and the producer Carol Shornstein Hayes and uh and Lloyd, and August, August, and Lloyd were on one side. Carol, and James Earl were on the other. Oh my God! And <laughs> they were they were battling over the the ending of the play. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, James and and Carol felt that the play ended twice. With and a, these are people battling with the author of the yes. play, and right. the author and Lloyd. And Lloyd was ferocious about. Standing up for his his playwrights, and when because he used to push the play over across the table to the playwright and say, "There's one scene too many. There's two characters. They would respect him, right?" And mm-hmm. so then the August took the play and went off and worked. Um, but when Lloyd pushed it across the table and August pushed it right back, he knew the play was done. Wow. And yes. so when the play was done, he would not push the play It's done. Right. It's done. It's done. Yeah. So August said it was done. So the, the play, uh, Corey sings to his father and says, I'm going to the funeral. Gabe comes in and says, I'm here, Rose. I'm here. And he blows the horn. He's been talking about blowing his horn the whole play. Yeah. Carol and James felt that the play ended twice with those two incidents. Mm-hmm. And August and uh, Lloyd said, that's the way that go. Yeah. I love that. That's the way that That's goes. That's the way that go. And yeah. so the battle went back and forth. And finally, two days before we opened, Lloyd stood up and said that my uh, there's an impasse uh, between August and the producer. And as the director, I'm stepping down. I don't know what's going to happen. I thank you for all of your work, your oh hard work. God. After two years, three years of Who of does working, this these days? Who stands stepped, up for the writer? Step <laughs> back, and we were all in shock. Everyone said, please, can't we just get along? Can't we just right. come to a—and a... we we went home that day, and we thought it was over. Wow. And the, we got a call the next day to come in, and uh, August stood up and said that uh, Lloyd has agreed to stage a compromise between myself and Carol Schoenstein Hayes, and the rest is history. That's amazing, because that is no small fish, James
0: Earl Jones, having an opinion like that. Who's the lead of your show? James That's was no James,
1: small. Fish. It was it was classic. You got the star, you got the producer, you yes. got the director, and you got the the playwright. And right. it's it's uh, Lloyd always said that at a certain point the director knows more than everybody, yeah. anybody else. At a certain point. The, uh, at a certain point the the writer knows more at a mm-hmm. certain point, the director knows more at a certain point, the actors know more and then at a certain point and the final point and the final element of a of a process of of a play is the audience at a certain point, the audience knows more that 's i love that and the audience knew the play, and this is. The play, and no, and every person who does uh, Troy Maxon in that play has an issue with the fact that in the first half of the play everybody loves you, and mm-hmm. second half of the play everybody hates you. Mm. And uh, one of the issues with that, I, I know James Earl had, was that he left the, the stage not completing himself. We completed him, mm-hmm. and he did. I don't think he like that. Yeah. And August said, that's my play.
0: Also, theater is messy, though. Yes, You know, theater is allowed to be messy in that way, you know, and you're allowed to make things up for yourself as an audience, you know.
1: And the audience knew if we didn't we weren't on our cues day, especially if you had a sunday church folk uh, audience yeah. <laughs> they would take that play
0: sunday come to meeting folks here. they would take that they play they weren't kidding around oh, no yes i know exactly what you talking about they would be screaming about. and oh, they no, you, having, no you know you ain't coming down no, that alley now. with that uh-uh. baby Don't Ooh, do that. you
1: mother they would be exactly. talking and 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 at the end of the run uh, in new york james just got he just got tired of it and he yeah. there were two shows where he he, he was coming down the alley, and before he came down the alley, before he took one step, he looked up at the audience and said, Cut it. Uh-huh. He, no, he said, not tonight. <laughs> and everybody was like,
0: <laughs> That's the way James Jones told the audience.
1: He said, not he, he said, he said, don't you whatever you were I mean, whatever he said. I think he was thinking he was said, I think he said not tonight, or not or oh, cut it or something like that. Cut it. Because they were about to start and about yes. to Ooh. Uh-uh. He, said, oh. he he cut that off and he came down the alley and they were like,
0: yeah, I mean it's Darth Vader.
1: No, it nobody came back with him with right. you don't tell us But yeah. they just everyone was Wow He stepped out of the play, he said broke that broke the fourth wall and came back into it. And there was one other time That's crazy. crazy. There was one other <clears> time <throat> when, when when James and he were talking he was talking about I've been on first page you for you you, you right. know, first page for eighteen years and, yes. and they were fighting and they ended up big and so I, and then I broke it up. Mm-hmm. I came down the, I came out of the house and they were, you know, he had her off to the side and he was mm-hmm. humping and doing whatever they were doing out there. And mm-hmm. I broke them up, and 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 he had picked up the bat and he was about to hit me, mm-hmm. and said, Troy. And that's when he's supposed to say, "You got two strikes on it, don't you strike out? That's strike two, mm-hmm. and don't you strike out?" And he's supposed to leave the alley, he put the bat down, but he took the bat. He raised because the audience was just on fire that that uh-huh. night. He raised it up to the to the, the cheap seats, and he stood there for seemed like Larry seemed like an hour. Uh-huh. He just stood there just like that, uh-huh. and we were all wow. We were all every the whole audience was like, <laughs> uh-huh. should we? It, is something? Is this part of the play? It, 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 he stood there and stood there and stood there. Of course, everybody shut up, and he brought the bat down on the sawhorse with a ferocity oh, that I just knew that the bat was going to split in half and go into the audience and impale somebody.
2: Oh my God!
1: He was so upset. He was so mad. He was so mad that with the structure of the play mm-hmm. and the the and all all of it of it after three years of doing the play and three years of leaving the stage unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. Three years of being, you know, loved and then hated, loved and then hated, loved and then hated. And he brought it down. On stage as an actor. As an actor. Yes. As an actor Mm -hmm. on stage through the course of this play. He brought it down, and then he came back into the play. That's strike two. You live with a full count now, boy. That's strike two. And don't you strike out. And then he left the stage, and we were all—and Rose was standing there with the rose in her hand— and I go to comfort her, and she pulls back from me, and I, I, and then she takes she walks downstairs and takes that rose and takes the head off of it, <sighs> and then walks in the house, and I'm sitting there, shaking, you know, from the experience. Of, but this this right. night was just it was crazy. It was absolute. But that's that wow. that live theater, and with those two people, I watched them. That I got my Ph.D. Yes. And I got my master's at Yale, but I got my Ph.D. Right. Watching them for 600 performances. Watching Mary Alice yeah. and James Joe do that scene. I've been on first base with you. You t- always talking about you take and don't give. I take and do mm. you take two, And you don't even know nobody's giving. You talk about giving. I didn't give you everything I got, woman. I, I watched that scene 600 times over three years. Yeah. And if di- not more.
0: Different every night.
1: Every night. Yes. Every night. And James had a had a... Had a, a sinus uh, drainage thing. And so, yeah. and he did not like to wipe his nose. Oh, man. He would be draining and the, he'd be during the middle of the scene, and, and the, the snot would just be clear, would just oh. be just hanging there. And he would just let it hang there. And you had to make a decision to focus on the snot or to focus on oh, him. Focus on the snot or focus on him. Focus and on it the would, snot. And it would just be just bouncing
0: there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Woo. Some stories. That is amazing to me. I mean, his, that bottled up rage, it's a metaphor for so many things. I mean, even when. That generation of men. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going going for. And how even baseball, the metaphor for that and what it did to black men. Oh, my gosh. You know, and what Jackie Robinson had. I mean, I think Jackie Robinson integrating baseball is what killed him. That's what I think, you know. I mean, he got gray, like almost immediately after he joined baseball.
1: Yeah, and was dead
0: like in a ha- right. in a generation later. Yeah,
1: because he know? he that's why he, they had to choose the right person. Yeah, because someone else would have killed somebody. would have yes. taken a bat and and uh, and but it's they he said uh, and Ken Burns uh, series on Don mm-hmm. uh, Jack. On baseball, on baseball, yeah, that, that was a great series. He said after, but he promised Brand Tricky that after three, you got three years, mm-hmm. where I'm not going to say nothing. I'm not going to turn another cheek. But after that, they said after that three year, he was spikes up to everybody. He was yeah. fighting and he was feisty, and you know he wasn't yeah. taking nothing from nobody. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, he got political, and yeah. you know, you know, things shifted him. But but the mm-hmm. the, the high cost. Of that that nine high. year career, yeah, or those high. three years, and no, nobody else could have done that. Yeah, no one could have taken the the the, the stress mm-hmm. of uh, on his shoulders of, of of all of white baseball on his right. shoulders for those three years. Yeah, and dealt with it, and no, you know, and then go home and you know with his wife. You know, had to yeah. deal with, and his children had yeah. to deal with. It's like Martin Luther King's children. Yeah. They never saw their father. He was gone 27 days out of 30, out of 31. He was away.
0: Yeah, that generation, I mean, people talk about the greatest generation, the World War II generation, but to me, there is a greatest black generation hmm. of men who were being emasculated constantly, constantly by the culture, wow. constantly, by being separated from their families, wow. by being demeaned in popular culture, by being demeaned in person, by. I mean, humiliated all the time, and those men were such honorable men. Yes, so many of them, we know them, and we're lucky because in our lifetime, God, I'm getting emotional. It was our we, fathers. We, and we got to meet many of those men who are our leaders yeah. and that sort of thing. You I know? mean, that's
1: what that that's what that play was about. That play was about those, you know, because that generational, mm-hmm. you know, Corey and, and James and and Troy were yes. fight were. That, was, that, a was, a, that fight. was a generational thing. a generational thing. And then, and then James Earl and his other son uh, Lyons, who were, he, he said, "What you, what you talking about walking two hundred miles?" He said, "I got up and walked two hundred miles to Mobile." What, what do you ain't walking no two hundred miles? <laughs> you ain't walking two. He said, "What well, James said." James character said, "He said, well, how is she gonna get there? Was no cars or right. no buses back in the day?" Mm-hmm. I walked two hundred miles. My father beat my 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 behind. I got up and walked. The two hundred miles, fourteen years old, walked two hundred miles down to Mobile. Yeah. So I mean, but it's 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 that whole thing that 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 we don't you know and and, and as you were talking about earlier, there's a generational and actor generational gap. Mm-hmm. I remember we, I mean, literally, I I was so green, and they took we went. I remember we went for one uh, on Saturday or something. <laughs> we went to Moses Gunn's house. Wow. We went to Moses Gunn's house, mm-hmm. all of us, the whole cast, and and uh, we all went to Moses Gunn's house. And, and that was the first time that I realized all these black men had white wives. Mm. It was a different time, mm-hmm. but it was all of them did. And it was just something that—and I didn't realize it until they were all in the room mm. together— and nobody said anything nobody you know wasn't a thing, but it was there yeah um and i'm I'm just so I can't believe I'm in i'm in this is my experience I can't believe I'm doing this I can't yeah. believe I'm sitting here mm-hmm. and witnessing this and but at the same time i'm like I'm struggling on stage because I can't figure out mm-hmm. you know how to get to where I need to get to every night with that song that mm-hmm. I've got to sing and I've got to mourn my father and and yeah. I couldn't figure it out, and uh, you know, Lloyd came to me in San Francisco. He said, what, "What's going on, Courtney? You, you're dry. You're not." I said, mm. "I know, Lloyd. I'm trying to figure it out." And it it took me all the way to New York to figure out that you got to just go through the play. You can't try to plan for That's the exactly emotion. Right. You got to let. Yeah. If the play is good, you have to trust that the play will take you and get you there, and you have to. On faith, just go up to the moment of where it's supposed to happen and let it flow over. Mm-hmm. That's and what good
0: writing does. It yes. does the work for you, you know. If you, you allow it, you need technique when the writing isn't good.
1: <laughs> you know, writing is not there
0: when the writing is there. It does it for yes, you. Yes, it you does. Know, I defy you to act brilliant writing and not feel something. Mm-hmm. Then you just can't be an actor if right. you, if that's how it is. Right. You know. Right. What's interesting too is um your brilliant portrayal of Johnny Cochran oh, wow. in the O. J. Simpson thing was is another cultural intersection. Wow. The rage that you're talking about was in James Earl was kind of what happened in the Rodney King riots that preceded right. the whole O. J. verdict. And I think I think a lot of white people never quite understood what happened yeah. in that time and still don't. And I apologize why people were generalizing, but it's just kind it's true. of true, yeah, you know. It's true. Like, yeah. I remember when the O.J. verdict happened. And I want to talk about your portrayal, too, because it right, was brilliant. Right,
1: right, But you can't talk about the portrayal until you talk about that. Yes. But unless you, until you place it in context. So go right ahead. Yes. Now,
0: I come at the O.J. verdict as, you know, my father played college football. Mm-hmm. I played football growing up. Mm-hmm. Me, too. You know, I played different positions. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. O.J. Simpson, it didn't get bigger as a football star. Emulate, you, you can't really compare. You can't
1: compare today to anybody. You can't. He was big. He crossed over. Yes. He was white guys. Yes. Adored him. That that right. USC campus was all was,
0: about yes. him. And his running style, it was like Jim Brown ran through people. Yeah. You know, Gail Sayers um, There was nothing quite like Gale Sayers, you know. He could, like, stop time. It was almost like The Matrix when he ran, you know. But O.J. Simpson was like water that was going through crevices, you know. It was this liquid thing that was happening, you know, when when he ran. And it was beautiful. It was, like, -like, gazelle-like, and it was inspirational for young kids. Every kid I knew wanted to be number 32. That's right. You know, it was O.J. Simpson and Dr. J both had number thirty-two. Wow. I remember going. That's up. true. That's yeah. true. That number was like magic. Even Magic had thirty-two. Yeah, he it he up. had yeah. to go to, uh, or he had thirty-three and then had to go to thirty-two. right? Oh, but um, oh, that's right. He had thirty-three he has, at, at Michigan State because because uh, Kareem had thirty-three. Right. This is right. real basketball Matty stuff. Right. I know it was the other way around. That's yes. yeah. right. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah. But uh, that's right. Yeah, Magic had thirty-three. He had that was his thirty-three. Number, so, but anyhow, so that's where I started with OJ. Right. And I met him once, maybe in the late 80s or something. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have been nicer, it was that right. type of thing. You know, me still like, oh my God, to right. something. Hey, mm-hmm. man, what's going on? Well, what do you do? You're in showbiz. Well, good luck, man. Hang in there. Like, you know, he's there, like, as almost like a cheerleader, that type of thing. So when this thing happened, like, I couldn't believe it at first. But then I was the type of person that I'll, I saw the. Um, the domestic abuse stuff, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this nigga. Yeah. You know, I was like, right. this is sad. This is a very sad story. Right. You know? And when the verdict came, I remember my brother and I, um, we did not clap and celebrate when that verdict came. Right, right, right. We we felt like we had a punch in the gut. Right. And that punch in the gut for us was like, <sighs> yes, we understand. Right. But this still ain't right, right. <laughs> you know. Right. It right. was that dual feeling right. of right. this isn't the way we wanted this right. to come about, right. you know. Right? There um, had to be and some. I'm going back to Emmett Till, right. <laughs> you know, and all the injustices that mm. Black people had to suffer through. Mm-hmm. And this OJ was the avatar in some ways of it, but it just seemed like the wrong one, you yeah.
1: know. Yeah. It. It. it uh, and because I, I didn't. I was the same, Larry. I, I was a huge O.J. You know, Simpson. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I remember watching his games. At, uh, I remember watching B Game. In Good, 67? 67, 68. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and then when you watched that, um, the, um, I think it was the HBO documentary. Oh, the thirty for thirty. Thirty for thirty, which is uh, brilliant. Was it? That's the ESPN. Yes, it's ESPN. Thirty for thirty. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, absolutely brilliant. And and uh, we we did ours. Ours came out first for FX. Yeah, uh, People vs OJ Simpson. It was kind
0: of overlapping a little yes, bit. Yes, but
1: you know? but I, I, once I saw theirs, I realized. I said, "You need to watch this one first. I agree. You need to watch because then that sets context for how OJ ended up how he is. Yes. That 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 the the the, the bubble. That he was mm-hmm. in, you know, in Rockingham and the house mm-hmm. surrounded by, there's no white, no black people in his house on pictures or <laughs> right, anything. Right, right. And the bubble that he was in at USC. Yes. And the the war was raging and assassinations were raging and the riot was mm-hmm. raging outside of, right outside the door of, UC, of USC and inside the bubble, there they, they, they was that person who asked them. So, what, what, what do you think about what's going on? What happened in 1968? Mm-hmm. I guess it was 69. What happened in? Said well, um, in 68, you know, and now the 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 you know the the Chicago mm-hmm. Democratic Convention right. and all of these things were happening in 68. But you ask somebody at U, USC at during that time period. So, what happened in 1968? Well, you know. USC is is doing really well, and OJ, OJ, he mm-hmm. he's he's he won the Heisman, OJ, and I mean they they did that they set that whole thing up, and with Tommy Smith, Tommy and Smith uh, and, 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 Carlos uh, and all of the, the 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 pro athletes and and college athletes gathered together, James Brown, Kareem abdul, abdul and Muhammad Ali, and the only one who wouldn't participate, yeah. Was OJ He's, and even
0: Lou Alcinder became Kareem. Kareem was in that picture as a college student right. with a lot on the line.
1: That's right. You know to That's take right. their chance. This he was he would not. He would not get in it. Yeah. So you you actually you see why how he was bubbleized. He was completely bubbleized, mm-hmm. and he wanted to be somebody. Mm-hmm. It was something for him.
0: And in his mind, he felt. Being black would be a penalty, right? <laughs> you know? He said, "I'm not black," and so he was trying
1: to avoid that penalty. He did not yes. want to be associated with being black, right? Because he's OJ, yeah. he's bigger than, right. and and we all had a hand in how he ended up. Mm-hmm. How he ended up. Yeah. I mean, we can say I can say the same thing about Michael Jackson mm-hmm. and the fact that he didn't have a childhood and he ended up in Never Never Land and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I said we all had a hand in that because we were all like we oh, had nothing Michael, to do with the chimp thing. We know no, no chimp, no that chimp. We had nothing, but everything to do else with that. we did. Okay, but um, right. um, <laughs> but we all wanted to see Michael. We all wanted yeah. to see. We all wanted to see. Go OJ, Absolutely. go go juice, yeah. and so we overlooked so many things. Mm-hmm all the signs and all of the well
0: for us it also represented this is what people can't relate to today yeah. too. it was respectability yes because we didn't have that like no when ignorant people today say why is there an Ebony magazine you know what if there was a, a a magazine that was called Ivory that was for white people I said it's called that's Life asterical. magazine that's why there had that's to hysterical. be an Ebony magazine it's called Life what if we had an Ivory <laughs> yes oh no, that's hysterical why is there a BET oh. Well, how, what oh. if there was a white network it's called CBS <laughs> It's called Stop CBS it.
1: NBC ABC
0: <laughs>
1: yes. CNN it's called all of it but uh but it's 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 really you can't put into context you can't handle the truth you can't put into context <laughs> what this man yes. represented back in, at that time period right. for all of us so for when when the when and and everybody knew mm-hmm. those all those policemen knew he was beating on that woman yeah they all knew that what yeah. was happening, but they were all going they looked the other come way. come on Nicole. Uh-huh. Come on, don't it's the Jews. Don't right. don't don't do that. It's yep. OJ. And so it's it's that classic thing of these, you know, these 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 athletes, these uh-huh. pro athletes or whoever they are, pro athletes or, or, or Harvey, Harvey Weinstein or, or whoever, did this person who was in a position of power, don't do that. Yeah. Because if you do that, we're, you know, our job's going to be, we're all going to have to, we know, we know he is mm-hmm. what you say he is. But come on. Yes. Keep the money train going. Right.
0: They're more concerned about the loss of privilege in their lives oh. than... Justice. The police were all mm-hmm.
1: hanging out at his house mm-hmm. on you know what a two and three nights a week with poker games yeah. and and she was like but he's beating me mm-hmm. you know you you see my face what are you gonna do about it anything mm-hmm. so she was alone so you know so it's we we were all in it but but he represented something to black people and to white people that was. Huge that that nobody today can understand yeah. what it was based on the context of the time period. I felt like white people felt betrayed by O.J. Simpson. Like we let you in. We let you in, brother. <laughs> Look we, what you did. You betrayed us. You betrayed us. You you know. So mm-hmm. it it's so deep. It's so mm-hmm. that's why it's still going on. Mm-hmm. There's still you know exposés. There's still. I heard there was a new. Um you oh, know, there was
0: a special on Fox special where on Fox. it showed I, had, his, I don't I see any of oh, you I, have to see. I this. haven't seen it
1: but or he, I, but he it, had
0: that book if I did it. If I did it. Right, right, but
1: right. It just lets you know that, you know, after all the I, which is why I think our piece was so huge. Mm-hmm. Um because we went behind the scenes and talked about, you know, what would happen uh, that, you know, before this happened or during this particular situation with, you know, for, for Martha for uh, Chris Darden and, and you yeah. know for you know for you know Johnny so people want to know yeah they re- these these are these are greek characters yes. here mm-hmm. it's a, it's a it's a monumental greek tragedy yeah. with larger than life you know um, zeus and you know yeah. and, you know mount olympus and all of these things that are are, are happening and people Want to, to you know place themselves? Well, I'm him, and I he mm-hmm. didn't do it, and I think that he was just it, and just the whole idea of the fact that Martha, uh, and not Martha Stewart, Marsha. Marcia, mm-hmm. Marcia, Marcia um, Clark, Marcia Clark mm-hmm. did not understand. Yeah, she didn't understand that that the 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 nature of the. And Johnny knew. Mm-hmm. Johnny knew about the relationship between white and black people, and Absolutely. that this was not a case about. Uh-huh. You know, whether he did it or not, this is a case about race. Yeah. And he needed to put the race in front of everybody's face so they can deal with it. And Marsha did not understand. She tried to make it about the domestic abuse and didn't understand uh-huh. that that there's this whole river the, of, of, of 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 hatred and mistrust that, between white people and black people and the house. People and the, the slave and the thief pe- and the thief, mm-hmm. and, then the, and the, the 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 police and you got our our black man white woman and you mm-hmm. got our and so when he was pervading about this beating of the uh the the, the, the he was beating her the 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 black jurors were just sitting there yeah stone faced that like uh, that's what she get oh uh, god that's what she get for taking our man and the more she put. She paraded mm. this beating that he was giving her before them. The more they heart, and Johnny saw that and was just like, "All right, well, it is just keep going." That is, it is so fascinating. This case,
0: I, it's endlessly fascinating. So many things about it, even the uh, that dynamic alone. How Marsha Clark became <laughs> the enemy of the, the people in people. some ways is fascinating to me. Here is a woman who is prosecuting someone for. Beating and slaughtering a woman. I mean, how can you not? How can you mess that up? Yes. How is how how, how is that possible? Are people not sympathetic to this? Yes. It. it I. It's it, it would be impossible for that to happen today. Yeah. Impossible. Yeah. You know. It's. it's and it. what's interesting too, and your brilliant portrayal of Johnny Cochran. Did did you say you met Johnny before Cochran?
1: I was at a at a party at his house. I was invited. Mm-hmm. I just came with you know some friends I didn't know. Was, the it, years was, yeah, it, was it years ago or? Oh, it okay. was years ago. Okay. This was ninety three. Or... It was so it was before OJ and all that. Oh yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, it was. But but may, maybe maybe not. I, I I can't call it because mm-hmm. Johnny still was Johnny. Yeah. Well, he was a folk hero before. He the was a folk hero day. before. Yeah, so right. probably before it. But mm-hmm. we were everybody. I didn't know him, but my mm-hmm. friend knew him, and he invited me, so I went. And Angela was there, but I don't. We weren't together. Um, okay. So. Um, so we were you know we were all all of us were there and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know and, and who, knew, who knew who else was there I, I I can't remember but I just remember being there a little you know shy little boy in the corner and watching all these people and Johnny mm-hmm. the life of the party and yeah. doing his thing so yeah, that was the only time but I you know so I was I was completely you know again I always start you know as an actor you gotta you gotta clean the slate and start mm-hmm. back in kindergarten and build from there and um, I said, I'm not going to – I'm not going to watch any footage because I'll start imitating him. Right. So, he, you know, I'm I'm just going to – I'm going to read Jeffrey Tubin's book several times. Mm-hmm. And I found a colonel. I found a colonel that his mother, out of I think the four kids that she had – I don't know if they're all boys, but – I think she had four. Mm-hmm. Um, she said Johnny is the one. He's the one that's going to go wow. um, to this all-white school, and based on him going to an all-white high school, he will um, then they, the, the the those boys and girls will take him into worlds unknown. And then, of course, he went to UCLA. And mm-hmm. but I said that's that was my life. Mm-hmm. My I was at the boys and girls clubs. Uh, boys and girls it was a boys club at that point and then the counselor from Detroit Country Day School was my counselor and he mm-hmm. told my parents uh, he should apply for a scholarship to Country Day and mm-hmm. it's a big it's the best prep school in Michigan and you know and from there you know Harvard and Yale and everything came but mm-hmm. but I said that was the, we had the same journey so you were able to connect that's all I needed wow I didn't need anything else the rest of it I said I, I'm just going to focus on the book and I'm not going to watch any footage yeah. and get caught up in. I don't sound like him. Oh man, I'm not doing a good job. <laughs> right. I said if I if I can bring people into the story, they'll forgive the for anything. Yeah, I miss. and
0: there there was there didn't seem to be a judgment about him mm-hmm. as well. You mm-hmm. know that was prejudicial by mm-hmm. any of that. You know, mm-hmm. which is also amazing. But what I found interesting about it too, you know, having seen it and then seeing your guys portray him mm-hmm. was <clears throat> how. You and Darden are almost pitted against each other mm-hmm. in this, in defending a black man. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's this triumvirate of things, you know, that each are fascinating in their own way, mm. and what each person kind of represented in that. Yeah, you know, and to me, you know, because I'm a writer, and I see this. I see this is this is what America has done. Now, yeah. these three black men are <laughs> involved in this. It's, in this discussion, where two of them are not going to come out well, maybe three, <laughs> you
1: know, in this situation, it's just, it's just, it's just a, you know, that that we're, uh, and it's so funny that uh, the that Darden actually, you know, said, you know, I know we're going to go in this, and we're, you know, you, I look up to you and all, but, you know, I just hope that we can, you know, just be respectful and, and great. my man said, I, 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 ain't coming here to respect you, I'm coming here to win. It's a great line. You know, it's like. What, what are you saying? We get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Get out of here, boy. Yeah. It's, it's time to get. We're going to work now. Come and then, on now. And
0: then, and then
1: the follow-up, nigga, please. Nigga, please.
0: <laughs> the two best lines of the whole thing, nigga, just please. the under the breath part of it, only meant for him, looking dead out of it, you know. Bigger,
1: you must be you must be smoking something. Get out of here. Yeah. I felt sorry for Chris dying in this whole thing. I know. I felt, you know, and I, Sterling's portrayal by the way. So on the money. So good. So, it's so good. You look you in know. his eyes and you see he's lost and you yes. see he's just and and you know and and it and I was and I thought that he would You know, come forward. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, during this. You know, because Marsha came forward, and and she uh, um, uh, Sarah Paulson brought her Mm -hmm. into the. You know, to the the premieres, and you know, she came to events with Sarah, Mm -hmm. and Sterling tried to do the same thing with Chris. He didn't want any part of it. Yeah. It, he, didn't, he didn't he's he was harmed. He was yeah. very harmed. I feel like it kind of destroyed him yes. his spirit or whatever it was. Yes. Yeah. He was he was very harmed and that's I think that's the saddest thing that you mm-hmm. know all the you look at all the people all the characters that were associated with this piece mm-hmm. and you know uh, Johnny's gone yeah. and you know there's like three or four or five of the the main players are mm-hmm. gone. Yeah, And within, you know, 10 years of the of the event, and, and Chris Darden is 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 you know it's never to be heard of again. Yeah. You know, Marsha is you know the one one person you would think that be that that her career would be done because she messed this up. Uh-huh. She's the one that's shining and got you know you know is yeah. back completely back. And of course, the ones that came out the best are
0: the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> you Nine the ones that have succeeded more than okay. anyone. Um, before you go, you're doing a voice for an animated movie right now. Yes. Uh, the dogs. Wes Anderson. Out of Can right. you tell me a little about that and working with Wes Anderson, who is one of the brilliant, iconic directors. Yes, yes.
1: Wes, Wes and I did a um, back at uh, Sundance Film Institute or Film Lab. We did,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we were there together that summer. It was about 93 or so, something okay. like that. And uh, he, um, I was doing another project and was in the middle of my project and I, or finished with mine. Mm-hmm. It's a three-week uh, event. And right. evidently, um, one of his actors got, you know, very ill. And so mm-hmm. he was Stranded, and so they asked me, "Could you just step in?" And um, and it was probably bottle rocket. Bottle rocket. It mm-hmm. ended up, you know being that that movie he was he was he, uh, he was working on there it's before he did rushmore I guess. Right, right so um but we you know I, I you know cuz it was a it's a lab and so there you you sure. script in hand and you're reading mm-hmm. um uh and so this was uh you know um a wonderful opportunity for me to 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 hang with him again um but you know I'm the narrator so you know but he had a very specific voice that he wanted from me so it took us a minute to find what that was But mm-hmm. um, so I didn't really you know I I don't even know if I read the whole thing I don't know if they send the complete scripts out did you see very...
0: storyboards did you have no. a sense of what it was going to look no, no, like no no or no, no I no. had no idea
1: I, I had okay. zero idea and not, n- nor did I I was simply focused on helping him Yeah. what do you need me to do uh, right. Wes how can I help you and all of his know?
0: work feels like animation to me anyway mm. yes. <laughs> in some ways yes. <laughs>
1: You know yes, but it this was it, it, he's a very you know he, he wants to go over it again and again and right. and get it and uh, I don't think that we have it and so periodically because this was we first did this in uh late 2015 oh okay so um is this you know it's over years so I, mm-hmm. I barely remember when I actually saw the 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 film yeah. uh, on the screen I said, Oh wow, I don't remember doing that dialogue. <laughs> right. It was so long Especially ago. Especially
0: if you're doing different takes, right? Yeah. yeah, I, you I, I, don't,
1: in, yeah. I don't remember that. So oh, um, that's great. um but but uh it's a it's a brilliant piece. I want to see it again and is it again. a fun movie? Is, is it a, a fantasy? It's, what, what's it's, the tone? It's it? kind of um uh, it's not a fantasy because mm-hmm. the, the 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 about these 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 uh, dogs that are in Japan and they they um I guess they they I mean there's a whole you know thousand year history with dogs in Japan and how what they represent and so mm-hmm. the 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 opening is you know just setting the stage for okay. the whole thing and the history of people and dogs and and how um, the house pets now have taken over mm-hmm. after centuries and that they're you know they're they're the, 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 these diseases are, are associated with people and the dogs. Mm-hmm. And so the the government is saying, you know, big, big government is saying we need to, you know, get them out of here. So they want to put them someplace uh, else so that the people can be separate from the dogs. And mm-hmm. and everybody has to give up their their house pets and they're transported over to this, this island, Trash Island, so they're there okay. with the trash. And then, you know, so there's about this one boy who says... I want to know where my dog went, huh. and he's he's happens to be the the mayor's um, adopted son. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's about how, his journey and them looking for him, and you know, trying to find the dogs who help him and all. So it's it's really right. a, a, um, a metaphor for you know the what I and I went to a a Q and A last night. I was just talking about how the mm-hmm. the children are leading this movement about gun control. Yes. And, mm-hmm. uh, and a, ch- a little child shall lead them, and that's 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 kind of what it's about. So mm-hmm.
0: that's it's great, really, really that's... fascinating,
1: really. Well, you, really know, fascinating. you
0: always know you're going to get something interesting with Wes Anderson. Yeah.
1: He does not disappoint. No. I tell you, not on this
0: one. Will we see you and your lovely wife, Miss Angela Bassett, do something together? In no,
1: the... no, it's too hard. We what did about a... theater? Would we did. A, about... I was just about to say we did a play in mm-hmm. 2005, a huge play. John Guerra did. His Girl Friday combined His Girl Friday the movie Mm -hmm. and the play, the front page that the movie was based on. It's two hundred pages at the Guthrie Theater. It's twenty five characters, and uh, just about killed us. (laughs) <laughs> just about killer. I mean Wait, it was weird. So let me just ask you this. Oh. What what
0: part what part of oh. it kills you? It, it, is it Well, let me ask you this. Yes. Because as an actor you're dredging up emotions all the time. Yes. That's your job.
1: Yes. Is that what it is that all the emotions are flying? No in? no 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 it? no it was a physical Idea that this—and we, yeah, we had never worked together before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Vinnie, we were in um, 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 Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a, you know, a, a cameo. She had a cameo. Yep. But we had never worked together before. So, But to go from not working together to doing a 200-page uh, play with 25 people and that every four days uh, John Guerra was was— Cutting uh, eight pages, oh. so we had to learn all to, in three weeks. Did you learn blue leaves exactly? We had to, learn, yes. right. we had okay. to learn all mm-hmm. the six degrees separation. We had to learn all two hundred pages. Then, right. Then do the cutting and internally cutting. So it wasn't just like cutting this the you know, three quarters of a page and the next. Three, it was internal. This line and then this paragraph. And then this uh-huh. within this paragraph, cut this. Put this back up here, and you know it was so challenging and by the time we opened and we made a pact with each other we said we will not let them see us have a disagreement we will not have disagreement in front of them in front of our cast crew whatever so we would have we have a disagreement and she's a director so she's starting to direct me Uh -uh. and the director Joe Uh Dowling I love him I love Joe Dowling the artistic director of the the Guthrie you know at that time he's since retired Uh he said I said Joe is this what what I should be doing? Is this okay? Uh-oh. And Joe looked at me and went, "Good for me, Court." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, "Okay, Andrew, what are we doing?" So we, you know, I just went with that, and it, we we had we end up having a phenomenal time. Uh-huh. But it was the most frightening thing. It a lot of work yeah. and to 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 actually, you know, it's it's. And now that we have children, it's it's. It's too hard to be both of us doing the same thing and nobody focuses on the children. Timelines. It's just timelines. Sure. Yeah. So I, you know, when she, she'll do a play and I'll go, you know, we'll all go support her. I'll right. do a play, go support her. So it's it's been 2013, lucky guy. So it's been uh, about four years. Okay. So I'm, I'm due. Well, I will always be a supporter of both of you. Um, and thank you
0: so much for stopping by. Yes. Such great stories oh, about yeah. uh, those early days, man. I love that stuff. I so wish there were, like, recordings of some of that stuff. Oh, and some of the people who are gone, you know, who a lot of people don't know, especially in theater, um, it's wow. such a shame. We've got to find a way to let people know about
1: some of these figures that are gone. Charlie Brown. Yeah. Mary Alice sang happy birthday to me. And just was so full of life, and so I was yeah. like, "Mary, what do you? Happy birthday!" And she was singing it full voice. I was yeah. <laughs> what she a wonderful could, day, Mary Alice Williams. All right, Courtney B. Vance, thanks, Courtney. Thank you, sir. Uh,